Hello everyone, you are tuned in for another episode of Getting to the Root of It with Venus Roots. And it's been a while, a lot has unfolded in terms of the global stage and what we deem as normal and how we're making sense of things every single day. And I'm really grateful um, for my guest today because it's someone I look up to and admire deeply and also someone who I think every time I speak to her just offers me an abundance of clarity and optimism that's rooted in a revolutionary commitment to build a new world. So, Claudia, thank you for saying yes, and thanks for coming back to the show. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me and for having me. I'm sorry about the scratchy voice. I have a very bad allergy, but I'm very, very happy to be with you. Yeah, no, and I hear you. There's something going around in New York right now, but I think, I mean, just let's just like zoom out a little bit and can you help me understand like how did we come to this decision um for folks that don't know uh Claudia de la Cruz is running for the presidential ticket on behalf of PSL the party for socialism and liberation and I can say for myself when I saw the trailer I was deeply moved I was teary-eyed um and I was also surprised you know so give me a little bit of context like how we get here well, I think, you know, to be to be completely honest, one of the things that made me um, decide to to join in, be in this journey um, with the Party for Socialism and Liberation is mostly because I understand that, you know, whether our people participate or not in the electoral process, they're definitely exposed to it. And whether they want it or not, they pay attention to the candidates, they pay attention to the debates. Mm -hmm. There's a deep level of discontent, I think, in this particular moment, um, where there were a lot of young people who became involved in electoral politics in 2020 and saw themselves being funneled into backing um, Biden, you know, mm -hmm. in this coalition against Trump. And it proved not to be the best step to take ultimately because the lesser of two evil politics historically has never served working class people. And so it made sense um, knowing in this current moment where, where the, the, the mood and the spirits of people are, where we are economically, politically, culturally mm -hmm. in this country, um, to be able to, to be part of an intervention that offered a third party option um, divorced from the corporate duopoly that we know as the Democratic and Republican um, Party. We know that democracy in this country is a sham. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know that there are many obstacles, you know, that are placed for, for any option outside of that corporate du duopoly. Um, but we have the opportunity and I think the responsibility as socialists to intervene in a way that, ex that it exposes and puts forth the contradictions that exist in this country that proclaims to be one of the biggest democracies, when in reality we know is one of the biggest hypocrisies. And so we mm -hmm. want to be able to raise, so we want to be able, able to raise the demands and, and the solutions that actually reflect our people's needs. Um, because we know that the politicians that belong to the Democratic Party or to the Republican Party, 
they have no solutions. They cannot meet the scale of the crisis that capitalism has created. Um, and we want to be able to uplift the voices of people that are in organized struggle. We want to be able to um, call on young people to become part of political organizations. We want to be able to call on young people specifically to be part of organized struggle. Um, I think that there's a resurgence of 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 struggle in, in ways that it hasn't been real in many years. Um, and so I, I think that there's hope for folks to be able to take this opportunity with within the crisis that capitalism has created to create a movement that is strong enough to move um, the interest of working class people forward in this country. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I feel that deeply in my heart. I think, you know, I, as someone that occupies a lot of spaces with comrades and people who feel dedicated to struggle, um, sometimes talking to my quote unquote non-political friends or even just my parents, right, who are just working class people. My dad works in maintenance, AC, and my mom works in a grocery store and they live in Florida in government housing. And, you know, feel very divorced from the political system. They feel very mm -hmm. alienated and very disempowered, right? You know, we've had so many arguments as I've like been developing my own political identity of, of their lack of participation. But saying all that to say, I sometimes use conversations with them as sort of like a litmus test of like, okay, if you're mm -hmm. not in a particular sector of left Twitter, if you're not part of a political home and you're just a working class person in this country who's struggling and who has been struggling year after year, decades after decade, and nothing shifts, if anything, conditions seem to just get worse, right? Why would we expect these people to feel invested in a political process that is not for them and that mm -hmm. doesn't serve them? So I feel like mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense i think especially i'd love to hear you talk a little bit more on like the contradictions you're seeing in this country that are being produced especially in this past week and past two weeks where we've seen the sort of genocide on palestinian people escalate to an unimaginable level simultaneously while biden is sort of able to you know cut the checks of billions and billions of dollars while people here at home are struggling. So yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about these contradictions that you're seeing and that are like inspiring your campaign to take action. That's a really sharp contradiction that you that you raised. I mean, Palestine is ultimately a reflection of all struggles against colonialism, against all struggles around like to, to defeat US imperialism. I I think and feel and like to talk about Palestine as a struggle for all humanity. Um, because it's really that is a struggle for humanity to save humanity, um, and and when you see that the United States government does not have the capacity to acknowledge the humanity of Palestinians, it just proves the point that it's incapable of acknowledging the humanity of anyone on this planet that resembles Palestinian people. And who are Palestinian people? Palestinian people are people who have been in resistance under an occupation for over 75 years, people who have been displaced, 
people who have lived under an apartheid law, uh, racist laws, people who are constantly persecuted by the military forces of Israel, people who have to go through checkpoints from one end of the country to the next, sometimes spending four or six hours in a row, in a route that could potentially or should be 20 minutes. Um, people who have been, you know, detached from their land, people who are peasants, farmers who have been detached from their land. So they resemble, the Palestinian people resemble a lot of the people, I would say the majority of the people of the world, displaced, colonized, um, persecuted, murdered uh, violently by, by the boot of colonialism and imperialism. And so when you see that the United States takes a position of continuing to support Israel, which is a which is a regime, you know, is a regime. It has been imposed on the Palestinian people. Israel as a state did not did not exist before 1948. It was a creation of Britain and the United States for the benefit mm -hmm. of those of those countries to be able to build empire. And so we need to contextualize that and understand that in that way. Um, so when I say that Palestine is a struggle to save humanity, I really do mean it because it resembles everyone who lives under oppression. To see that the United States government sides with apartheid, sides with white supremacy, sides with ethnic cleansing, sides with the extermination campaign, and fuels, like materially fuels that effort by bumping, I mean, it was $105 billion that Biden proposed, not only for, you know, the continued murder of Palestinians, but also the war in Ukraine, mm -hmm. $105 billion, you know? And then on top of that, it's, it's over $3 billion a year that are put into that, that murdering machine that is Israel, you know, in Palestinian territory. And at the same time, you have one of the highest rates of unemployment in the United States, a deep crisis where people cannot afford to buy food, where mm -hmm. people do not have access to health care, where you have over half a million people who are homeless, people who are couch serving, students that cannot you know, afford to live in a dignified way. Um, the student debt was never resolved. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. you just keep going and adding and adding and adding. Like in 20 years of continuous war in the United States, the government has spent $21 trillion, $21 trillion, you know, in 20 years mm -hmm. in war. It takes $1.7 trillion to eradicate all student debt. So it's not a matter of, you know, lack. It's not mm -hmm. a matter of not having the fu the funding to do it because we do have it it's a it's a way in which things are prioritized you know the united states is definitely a, a government as a, as a state is a capitalist machine that is addicted to war and it, it thrives mm. from war um but war has never been a friend of the poor and so i think for the most part if you go and you survey communities communities will say that you know, those contradictions are felt. They're felt every day when people have to make a decision 
on whether they pay for gas or buy lunch while they're working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's a real thing. And, you know, the majority of people, again, are disillusioned by the politics of this country. And a lot of the times what that does is feel a sense of isolation. Yeah. Feel a sense of like there's no change. We can't do anything. But historically, we've been taught that the little things that we actually have have been, have been gained through collective struggle. You know, isolation hasn't hasn't helped us ever. And so I think what we're also trying to do with this campaign is be able to fuel that energy of resistance and collective struggle that we don't have to be in isolation, suffering the deep crisis that capitalism has placed us in. And it's a crisis that is economic, that is political, that is environmental, and that is very much spiritual and cultural as well. Yeah. You know, it's definitely dismembered the sector of society that has the most strength to be able to impact change, which is the working class. And so we want to build the confidence of working class people to see themselves in each other and find not only solace, but find strength to fight back. I really, I really, really value you just laying it out so eloquently and holistically like that. I think just hearing you even talk and walk through all these like crises and issues and tragedies that are unfolding every day in our day-to-day lives I think you know I was just right before we started chatting I was talking with a friend and we were talking so much around like the depression the anxiety the alienation and the isolation that so many of us feel and the dangers of that especially us being young people right and how historic we we know that young people young working class people are just have a particular position that makes us apt to join struggle and what it means that in the United States, so many of us who are young and otherwise would feel enraged by these conditions feel or often feel paralyzed and feel hopeless, you know, and I think I appreciate you mentioning beyond the economic and political reality, but then also what it does to us. It atrophies our ability to dream. It atrophies our ability mm-hmm. to just build with one another and and find that a worthwhile practice, a worthwhile process. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit, I mean, connected to that around just like how you see the role of organization. I sometimes have a lot of conversations with friends who feel intimidated, who are like, yeah, I feel like everything's trash and, and I would like to do something about it, but just feel a little bit in the dark around like, where do I begin? Who is organization for? And I have my own ideas, but I think I'd love to hear yours and how you're making sense of that. I think that's a great question. I think that that's a great question because unfortunately there has been a breakage, like a, a real intentional breakage in our lineage, like in the way in which working class people organize to be able to achieve, you know, even if again, even if if they seem to be the smallest of reforms Um, and the ways in which people organize to be able to fight power of the capitalist system, but also attain power. I think that we have had a vacuum for quite a while in this Mm -hmm. country. And it has to do a lot of, uh, with the history of persecution against socialists and communists. Communism is indeed the second religion the United States of America, like they despise 
what communists were able to do in a given historical moment in this country. Um, in fact, a lot of folks with communist and socialist ideas were forced to go underground, you know, um, and continue to do the work that they thought they could do without naming and calling themselves communists for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them are in jail. <laughs> a lot of them were killed, you know. Um, and that's the history of this country, right? Freedom fighters, those of us who have committed our lives to liberation in an organized way, have always been a threat to the US. Um, for me specifically, I cannot exist or speak about community organizing outside of an organization. I've always belonged to an organization. I've always been accountable to a community of people. I've always allowed myself to learn with and grow with organizations. Um, not all organizations are perfect. Not all organizations will resemble what we hope to see in an organization. And they don't have to. Mm -hmm. I think part of the mistake that we make often is kind of waiting for that perfect organization to come and, and save us. And it's the mentality we have about doing politics in this country as well. The idea of being able to struggle in a principled way, in a collective way, um, not to be avoidant of conflict, but, but face conflict head on as a way of growing is something that, that is not part of the political culture, unfortunately, of this country. Mm -hmm. um, and to be part of a political organization, it entails precisely that, to be serious about revolution, to be serious about building the political process, to be serious about what we understand needs to happen, and to be serious enough to be in conversation and then struggle with other people around that vision. Um, I particularly, you know, was connected to a lot of different political parties, mostly from the Caribbean and Latin America, um, before deciding to join the Party for Socialism and Liberation. But I've always understood as a Marxist-Leninist that anyone who claims to be a socialist or communist needs to be part of a political discipline. Mm -hmm. You need to be part of a political organization. If not, you're just a cultural Marxist. You're just <laughs> someone who's like theorizing, you know? If you call yourself a Marxist-Leninist, then you need to be within a Marxist-Leninist discipline, which is democratic centralism, which means that you're not gonna get your way all the time. Right. And that there's gonna be a process of determining what is best not for one individual or three individuals, but for the majority of people in the space and for the political project. And so to join the PSL meant that for me. It meant sacrificing some of the leeway that I had as someone who had been doing community organizing, doing you know pedagogy, doing theology, being in different spaces in different community projects, but being part now of a political discipline within a Marxist-Leninist party, which is democratic centralism, which has a leadership, which has a collective process, which is democratic, but not democratic in the bourgeois way that we understand it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it means a lot to be part of that. It means a certain level of accountability to, to a community of people that, are, that envision and are committed to building the project that is the party, but also building the socialist project that goes beyond the political party. 
Um, and so I think, again, we have to reclaim a lot of that legacy that, that has been stolen from us. Sometimes we talk about Paul Robeson and we talk about, you know, Claudia Jones and we talk about all of these folks that are to us, you know, our ancestors, that are mm-hmm. our political, you know, icons that we look at and we read, but we never talk about the political projects that they were connected to. These people were communists and they were committed to the Communist Party of the United States, which in its moment served the purpose of breaking through a lot of the struggles that our people were facing, you know, from house evictions to the organizing of labor unions, all these different things that communists had their hands in. Um, And these artists, these intellectuals, these people who had huge platforms were connected. They were connected to these parties. They either had memberships or they followed an orientation by them. And so I think we need to be really conscious of the fact that we've abandoned and have individualized in many ways what struggle looks like. And that only only feeds and, and serves the purpose of isolation, of alienation. Um, and we wind up being frustrated most of the times and demoralized because the strength that we get from being part of a political project is something that we don't have if we don't commit to to a project. Absolutely. And I feel, you know, Claudia, for, for me, I think of it as a particular phenomenon in the West and in the U.S. I think for me, I, I get really energized and refueled by seeing what the state of the global left, what the left in the global south is up to and how they're able Mm -hmm. to, against all odds, against sanctions, against embargoes, against propaganda wars, against all types of wars, they're able to organize mass movement and disrupt capital and disrupt business as usual, Um, which sort of for me sometimes, you know, it it contradicts the idea of like we're just these helpless individuals in this ginormous empire that when we just can't get our shit together but i'm curious for you especially not just through this campaign but just through your organizing work how the role of like internationalism and these conversations and these exchanges with folks that are attempting to build experiments of socialism across the world and outside of the u.s how that has sort of given you some grounding and recalibration for your own work here i mean it's um it's sustenance. It's definitely sustenance. Um, and I just came back from South Africa. We had our, our third Dilemmas of Humanities conference, um, which is the process that gave birth to the International People's Assembly. It is a process that started in 2004. And then we had our second one in 2015. And that's where, you know, the IPA was born. Um, and being in these like huge spaces with many communists and socialists from the global south is always re-energizing and is reaffirming because you know you have comrades for example we have comrades from a, a news um, project that's called News Click in India mm-hmm. who have been persecuted. We have two of our leaders from that IPA platform who are in jail, Prabir and Amit, and. They're in jail simply for uplifting the realities and the conditions and the resistance of the peasantry in India. Mm-hmm. That was their, that was their crime. Um, and even in that, 
moment of despair of having comrades, houses raided um, over 50, having close to 30 of our comrades placed in jail, two of mm -hmm. them who are remaining there. Our comrades from India made it. They made it to the conference and they made it uh, in solidarity with Palestine. And they made it in solidarity with, you know, movements and, and, and struggles in South Africa and in the, the Western part of, of Africa, you know, with this uh, courage. Yeah. And I say with this courage because they don't know what will happen to them once they go back to India. They could have been arrested, mm -hmm. you know. They could be facing the same charges of, you know, um, terrorism, basically, that Amit and Prabir are facing. And they had the courage to make it there. Comrades from Argentina who were in the process of, you know, figuring out what these first this first round of elections would be because they have a psychopath that is running mm -hmm. for president, Miguel. Um, and they made it, you know, despite of the struggles and the things that they're pushing in that electoral realm, they made it. The Cubans made it, the Venezuelans. And when you see people that are, have the capacity to put internationalism and that the conversations that strategically bind us together to move forward as a priority, how can you not be part of that process? And how can you not be part of that process following the orientation of the South, knowing that you're coming from an imperial core? And so for me, being in those spaces has been always a space of learning. Um, I know what imperialism does, you know, internally to the United States. I know what it does externally mm -hmm. to the United States as well. I'm the daughter of immigrants from the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic has been you know, invaded and occupied by the United States several times. Mm -hmm. People don't think about the Dominican Republic as a neo-colony. It is a neo-colony of the United States. It follows the rules of the U.S. government. It's a project of neoliberalism. <laughs> you know, uh, we are we are neighbors to Haiti, who has been um, receiving attacks, who has been receiving aggression from the United States historically. Yeah. We're neighboring to Puerto Rico, who has 125 years of a of being a colony. So I know what it does outside, but to see outside of this continent, mm -hmm. how people are struggling and are resisting as well in India, you know, how people are resisting in Africa, how people are resisting in the Middle East, you know, in the Arab the Arab countries, gives you a strength and it gives you a validation of being part of a larger struggle. Yeah. And so if you ever stop being accountable to people in your immediate space, you know that you have to be accountable to a larger group of people that are also counting on on your work, on your contributions to be able to defeat the monster that is killing them. You build these bonds that are unbreakable, you know. And so for me, internationalism, I mean, I started doing organizing when I was 13 years old. And the way that I started doing organizing 30 years ago was around the, the Vieques. I'm yeah. not Puerto Rican, but we were trying to get the Marine out of Vieques. And I understood that the Marines, the U.S. Marines had nothing to do in Puerto Rican land. And I understood that it was a strategic, for them, it was strategic to be able to uphold U.S. imperialism for as long as they had Puerto Rico. I didn't care that I wasn't Puerto Rican. What was at stake and continues to be at stake 
by Puerto Rico being a colony of the United States is the livelihood of the rest of the continent because mm -hmm. it's strategic for them to do everything that they do. We cannot separate the reality of colonized Puerto Rico with colonized Palestine. Absolutely. We have to, you know, and so these connections are important and we need to make those connections nationally, regionally, and internationally because we are part of a larger group of people that is called the working class, that are the dispossessed, the wretched of the earth, as Fanon would have said. Mm -hmm. You know, we are part of that large family. And for as long as we are kept in our small little blocks, in our small little spaces, it's very, it's very limited what we actually can achieve. Oh, that's, that's grounding and that's powerful. I think for me, maybe I was asking selfishly as well, like just, you know, these days have been challenging, right? For all of us, we're just consuming from our phones, just horrific scenes that are unspeakable. And I think even as a person that has a political commitment, it's it it feels challenging. And I think just hearing you hearing you reflect on all these non-negotiable connections that transcend borders and space and time for me is also just like it's a salve. So <laughs> I think also just wanting to say that, you know, earlier today and you brought up Puerto Rico, of course. Um Yeah, I like posted something on social media that was sort of reflecting on how the bombs thrown by the U.S. Navy in Vieques a few decades ago are, were sort of the testing ground for the same bombs that Israel and the mm -hmm. Israeli regime is using on Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. And it's just those reminders of like, you know, in the in this empire, most of us suffer from historical amnesia, especially to your point, if we're not accountable to an organization and an organizational process of experimenting. So I think it, this moment with Palestine, because I also I think it's also important to frame it as just like a revolutionary moment um, mm -hmm. that is well organized and that sort of opens a, a portal of, to your point, of wretched people all over the earth to sort of stand by these oppressed people who are taking freedom into their own hands. Um, but all of these connections, I think most of us, most Americans, like don't don't have those constellations lighting up right now. Um, you know what's another connection that I think it's important? 2020 in Seattle, we saw a lot of people being shot up, shot at, at their eyes. Mm-hmm you know, uh, causing ocular damage. Yes. That's an Israeli, that's an Israeli um, form of neutralizing Palestinians that was utilized also in Chile. Mm -hmm. So you see the connection of military and police training. These folks train together to be able to do the same type of attacks. And also so in Colombia. In, the, in... in Colombia. Yeah. In Colombia and Argentina during the dictatorships. The, the, the mechanisms of, of like just horrifying terrorist attacks to human bodies um, when they were detained. That was Israeli training for all these dictators, mm -hmm. you know? And so we need to, this question of like reclaiming our historical memory 
is so important because we've been dismembered for so long. We've been dismembered as a class. Our consciousness has been dismembered. Internally, you know, the levels of disconnect and detachment that that causes is also part of that. And so I think all these connections are necessary to be able to gain strength, not, not you know, we should have moments of solace and, you know, solitude. And like we have to have moment, moments of reflection. And sometimes it's okay for us to kind of stop, but to become paralyzed by these moments mm -hmm. is only giving up more strength to those who are doing the oppression, giving, leaving a vacuum for them to continue to take space. And this is a moment where we have to go on the offensive. This is a moment where we have to pull together and move forward collectively. And so I say that to say that the connections are necessary, that we need to keep our eyes and hearts open, and that we should not allow ourselves to allow the horrific ways in which capitalism and imperialism work to paralyze us, because then they win. And we can't, let, we can't afford to, ha to have them win. We can't. No, I mean, I think when you earlier said, you know, I mean, this moment is just a moment for humanity, right? I think, you know, it's like the, the famous quote, you know, Rosa Luxemburg, like, is it socialism or barbarism? It's like barbarism arrived a while ago and we've been enduring it and all its manifestations and iterations. And I think connecting it back to the your campaign, I mean, I'm curious, you know, I'm thinking I'm really keeping a lot of my non-political friends in mind so for the ones listening this is for y'all like the ones who feel you know we've been talking about this alienation but then who sort of succumb themselves to the belief of like what's the point of even trying why even vote for the PSL if we don't have the corporate electoral machine that the Dems and Republicans have like why you know that the ones that are questioning themselves is like, why even engage? Um, I'm curious what sort of words and message you have for these folks. Well, the first thing I would say is that I think that their sentiment is valid. <laughs> um, and I think that there was a moment in time where I felt the same way um, until I understood that is, again, an intervention that's part of a larger strategy towards building political, political organization. Yes. And placing socialism in a space where it is popular. And I don't mm -hmm. mean popular in the sense, like I mean popularizing socialism in a way that we could talk about it with our grandparents, with our mothers, with our, that it makes sense, that it takes meaning um, to the people in our communities and the people closest to us. I think that in a lot of ways, people understand socialism in two ways, socialism in the ways that you know, corporate capitalist media tells us about it or in the ways in which the academia tells us about it, which is kind of like, it's something that's unachievable and it's something that has happened before and has failed, um, but not something that is a project, that is an experiment, that it's a process, that is something that is not only necessary, but is also achievable, that we can actually have socialism. So the idea behind the campaign is mostly that, is assuming the campaign as a mass education campaign, as a mass outreach campaign, um, as a process in which we learn again to communicate what a socialist platform looks like with our people, for our people, 
inspire people. Um, and I think, you know, for us in terms of the, the, the political organization, the instrument that we are working to build is the party. We always say within the party that the biggest campaign is to build the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every effort that we make, everything that we do is to be able to accelerate the growth and contribute not only to the growth of the party, but also the growth of the cadre of the party, the members of the party. And so we're not, you know, again, we do understand just how how much of a fraud democracy is in this country. We're not being naive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the understanding that there, you know, that there's a lot of obstacles that are placed for third party options. Um, And there's also the reality, the more strength that you accumulate through this process, the more of a possibility that you have to be able to achieve things through through an electoral process at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, If we just don't do it, then we're also allowing space for independent third party options that are very much the same as the capitalist system that could be fascist that could be very liberal, but not necessarily revolutionary. And so what we're saying is we don't want people's vote necessarily. That's not the only thing that we want from folks. What we would like for folks is to make a commitment to political organizing. What we would like for folks is to become organized and become part of an organization. What we would like for folks is the understanding that we're not waiting every four years for a savior, that we can organize ourselves to get what we need to get. You know, we only get what we're organized to take. If we can't organize mm. ourselves to take the power, we're never going to get it. And so we could either decide to be on the sidelines and not participate, but we're, again, allowing a vacuum to be created, a vacuum that could be taken by anybody. And it right. could be the worst of what we already had. And so I think we need to be really strategic and really intentional in ways where we put our energy and our effort and our aspirations and things that we belong things that we believe in and that represent our needs as communities. And so that that's the reason why we're talking about, you know, again, building political organization, uplifting socialism as being the, the core aspect of our campaign. Um, way more than than the question of, you know, whether people will come in and vote or not. We're not a every four year party. We're an everyday party. We do work every mm. day. I mean, period. I don't have much to add to that. (laughs) I guess, you know, I mean, I love talking to you, Claudia. I think you have just such clarity and conviction and you always bring in a beautiful balance of context of historical analysis with also just like a soberness to this moment and the now and where we're headed and where we can head. Um, So I guess on that, you know, on that note, like, what's what's next for you like where where do we get plugged in how do we support what do we do what are the next steps i'm really excited about i'm really excited about the levels of of consciousness that are emerging from Mm -hmm. young people it is crazy um the number of people that are out you know in support of palestine people People who don't usually go out and protest. Yeah. People who don't usually out out there making statements that are able to make connections. Um, and I think it's a it's a reflection of the moment. People are tired. People are fed up. Um, and what we're seeing in the campaign right now, like we launched September sixth, 
And since then, we've had hundreds of volunteers that have signed up to participate in the campaign. That is very hopeful. Mm -hmm. And these are folks that are not connected to the party, folks that are not in any way, shape or form, party members, some people who are not in anywhere where I would be like, well, I've never even been there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cause I'm a New Yorker through and through, like internationalism, all that good stuff. And I'm all about, (laughs) you know, visiting. But there are places in the United States that I've never thought about being. And some of these places are the places where folks are like, we want to be involved because there's nothing here. And because no one ever comes here. Um, and that's very telling, you know, that's very telling that you have a, a, a large population of people in this country who feel neglected mm-hmm. um, by all structures and who are willing to, to organize themselves. And so to me, it's very, very hopeful, the idea of being able to intervene in spaces again, where there isn't a structure, where there aren't any like, you know, nonprofits or any politicians coming through um because these folks have been again neglected and there's been a sense of there's a lot of grievances you know and grievances could turn into a lot of things grievances Mm -hmm. could turn into big problems and i don't think we understand just how much trump and the ultra right intervene in spaces of grievances yes spaces where people have been forgotten where they don't have basic necessary things and structures and systems to be able to live. And they're intervening precisely feeding off the prejudices and the, and the ignorance that has been imposed on these populations. And I'm talking about a lot of poor white folks. Mm-hmm. And I'm also talking about indigenous communities. I'm talking about black folks that have never seen a politician come through their neighborhood. And they have issues of water and they have issues of, you know, like literally shit, poop mm-hmm. coming up from there. You know what I'm saying? So like sewage problems. And so these are the people that I'm talking about. Like we want to be able to connect with people that are really in the margins of society. Um, and we're seeing folks that are signing up to volunteer in those communities. You know, there are folks that are sending in donations and are saying, you know, I'm, i pump gas and I'm sending this money because whatever it is that you have on your platform is what represents me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot to, you know, that, that has a lot of meaning to, to us and the work that we do. And so I'd say if folks want to get involved, you could always go on to vote socialist 2024.com. You could also follow, you know, the PSL national um, social network. So like in, in Instagram and X, I, I, I don't know why, but I just dislike <laughs> calling Twitter X. I mean, no, X it's corny. It's corny. For me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has a whole different meaning for me. Just like, nah, I don't know if I like that. But, you know, just folks can go into social media and follow the PSL National um, and get involved. Like, we just want folks to get involved. People yeah. will go through, pro- through a process where you will go from one organization to the next, and that's okay. You know, we we change in our process, but let us never struggle by ourselves. Like if one organization didn't work for whatever reason, find another organization that's more politically aligned, but do commit yourself to moving that organization to the best organization to receive other people like you. 
And I think that that's the best thing that I can share with folks. We want them to get organized. We want them to join political organizations. We want them to be part of the campaign, of course, in the ways in which we are able to popularize, prolar, prolar, proletarizar. Mm-hmm. How do you say that in English? Prole, I would just say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Make socialism the option for the working class. Make the, make socialism for the proletariat, something that they could understand. Fred Hampton Senior used to say, socialism is the people. And whoever feels fears socialism fears the people. Mm-hmm. We can't fear our people. And we got to make sure that the people know what socialism is and that they are socialism. Yes. I mean, Claudia, you know, this is my first New York winter and I'm a Miami girl, <laughs> but I feel so invigorated and excited about this campaign and what it means for our movement, what it means for young people, what it means for working class people, what it means for people of color who are just trying to make sense of everything that's ongoing in their lives and in this country. So I'm excited to, in the middle of winter, be knocking on doors, canvassing, talking to people, and just saying that to say, you know, that is that is me stretching my capacities. So I'm excited to see other homies and see other people who are listening to this join in on with, with us. And I'm really grateful that you decided to do this, um, not for yourself, but really for our movement, for our organizations, and just for that sort of muscle of, like, revolutionary hope for all of us so thank you thank you and i can't wait to go knocking on doors with you because i'm gonna be right there thank you so much for for the support always and and the love you know your love too thank you claudia thank you for being on the show i'm excited to just share all the links and information for folks to join us on this on this campaign and everything that comes after but thank you for saying yes and thanks for coming to talk to me again Anytime. Thank you.